Guys, we're back for the London City Island podcast, episode five. I can't believe it. We're already in June, guys. We're in June. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Pete and Dante, how are you doing? Hey. How you doing? How you doing? We're good. How are you, Keisha? Good. I'm very well, thank you. Um, I'm excited today, actually, because today we have a very special guest, original cast member of a series Made in Chelsea, who's also a singer-songwriter, an entrepreneur and founder of Saturn Returns Podcast. Welcome, Kagi. Thank Welcome, you, Kagi. Keisha. Kaggy <laughs> Dunlop, ladies and gentlemen. Thank Indeed, you. Yes. Um, Pete and Dante, how did you meet this wonderful lady? So Dante and I were invited to a party at Platoon um, from their founder, who's uh, a guy called Denzel Feigenston. And um, basically he said, just check out um, Kaggy because she's got something really special. You know, obviously she's she comes from a TV program or whatever. So she's got massive amounts of exposure and everything. But above all anything else, she's got this amazing tone and um, she wants to become a singer, you know. So we we basically got into the studio. Actually, the first thing we saw was a clip of her doing a Nora Jones track, which blew me away. Wow. Like absolutely blew me away because her voice was so silky and smooth. So it kind of we Dante and I immediately thought, okay, this is what we need to do with her, you know, because she had this unique tone. She had a meeting with us and told us exactly where we, she wanted to go. So it it was just a wonderful experience working with her. Yes, oh. indeed, indeed. It was a purely musical connection straight off at first and mm-hmm. I, I know um, Kagi has her own fan base and she has her own thing from from a, a talked about TV show <laughs> but yeah. we got in with her purely because of her talent and her voice and what she could do um, and we wrote an amazing little vibe um, yeah. with yeah so um, we did yeah, it was yeah good. it was we did a song we did a song called uneasy and actually a funny part of this whole story is that when Dante like messaged me I was in the Isle of Wight during lockdown and I was like li- listening through no my catalogue of music as like I sometimes <laughs> do and I'm suddenly like I haven't released anything in ages what am I going to release blah 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 and I was listening to that track as he messaged me and I was like wow. that is that is weird it's, it um, is crazy it's connected it's all connected universe. but yeah mm-hmm. yes so that's how we that's how we know Kagi and that's how we met yeah I see okay well look I'm um, just because you mentioned Made in Chelsea or you mentioned the said show <laughs> I just want to talk <laughs> to you very very briefly um about that Kagi I suppose because the assumption for many people who you know, who have been a part of a reality TV show, is that any opportunity beyond that is a direct effect of the show. So mm-hmm. were you gigging and, you know, writing music before Made in Chelsea? No. So that, I mean, I would completely, like, have to give credit to the exposure of the show for, for many things. Um, it gave me a platform and an opportunity to explore aspects of myself and opportunities that I probably wouldn't, have had I I'd say I had the courage to do otherwise so singing for me was not something I ever imagined I would be doing ever and actually the first time I ever ever sung was on that show so my first gig to anybody like as in I went to drama school in New York and for one semester I took took music and singing lessons I could not sing I could not open my mouth 
once that's how terrified I was of performing Mm. just for me it was a very personal thing that I kept quiet and I think because my family wasn't musical it just wasn't something I was brought up around I son I developed this sort of slight association with it that I was like ashamed of it and I don't really know why but I think I've always had this idea with a lot of things in life that unless you can do it perfectly don't don't do it and I think we all will relate to actually like everything you do in life you've got to fail you've got to you've got to mess up it's part of the process to getting mm-hmm. to getting good at anything but mm-hmm. for me I would hear people singing and I would like have my icons and idols and I would be like I could never even touch that but mm-hmm. I just like doing it for me mm-hmm. and what happened was when the show came about I was like I'm not interested in reality TV at all. That sounds that sounds awful. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then at the same time, my dad had opened my laptop and I'd recently got a laptop and had GarageBand on it. And I'd started recording myself when I was at home alone. Okay. And my dad opened it and like that, my whole family was around and it started playing something with, that was like there. And they were like, is that Kagi? And I was so mortified, but then they were like, look, this is obviously something you're interested in and like, maybe you should do something with it. And then when the show came about and they started speaking to people, they spoke to me and they said, what do you like to do? And I was like, well, you know what? I just realized that how much I love singing and it's something that I want to get into. And then they came back and they were like, right, the next ep- the first episode you're going to perform and it's happening next week. And I was like, it wow. is. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was it. That that was then we were off. We were off to the races. Amazing. So, okay. the, so, so I do vague. Is that the episode where you had where you played with the guitar? Yeah, so it was me and a guitarist. It was at the Troubadour in London. And it was like, I mean, yeah, I had a, an audience there and everything, but there were just five cameras and I'm I've never been wow. so nervous in my life. I don't know why I, I like pressure in a way. I think I like, you know, mm. the higher the stakes, the more I'm like, okay, let's do it. Because mm. obviously if it went well, then that was fantastic exposure. But I didn't really think yeah. about if it went wrong, which I think the producers <laughs> were like, right. if it goes wrong, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> were you singing live on the show, right? Yeah. So it was yeah. a live take as well. Or they pre- just were like, as they were recording yeah. it and then like whatever happened, that was what was going out. Wow. So, yeah. like, for them, I didn't realise the nature of reality TV in the sense that they were probably thinking she's never performed. She's mm. absolutely terrified. We're going to make someone walk in mid-performance that's going to, like, <laughs> disrupt her. Yeah. And if yeah. this goes wrong, this is TV gold. But if it goes right, it's TV gold too. So I guess okay. it was kind of, cool. like, the perfect yeah. beginning. The win-win. <laughs> but then in that sense, it really kind of put me on a path that I guess I wasn't really ready for. Mm, at that stage right, right. so I kind of got this exposure very instantly that felt very overwhelming because really I, I mean I wasn't I couldn't really call myself a singer you know I hadn't really done done the work or done all the gigs or anything so it was all very premature in that sense so it was like a quite a late this is a very long answer but it was like <laughs> a late, um, late thing for me in life it was a late bloom, okay. kind of like. Yeah. yeah. But how did you, I mean, is there, do you feel more pressure then to succeed? At what point in, and did you go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm going to do this forever. This is going to be my thing. To be, 
honest and like a thing in hindsight it's like i wish i was who i am today then to have been able to see like this is where i need to be disciplined this is who i need to listen to but at the time i was 21 i just i was being told so many different things being pulled in different directions didn't really know who to trust or why mm-hmm. and beyond like the music there were a lot of like moving parts and i remember like the music industry half of them were like this is great this is an opportunity and half were like this is terrible and like you're never going to be accepted because of this show and i started to really believe that the latter that because i was on the show that i would never be taken seriously in music for me it's become very apparent like the songwriting is really where my heart is mm. and that's the th- that's the message that i that i'm very passionate about to convey i don't necessarily think that me being like a pop star or whatever is anything that i've ever actually aspired to be who were you influenced by like what was the who did you want to be like let's put it that way okay well when i was like singing on my own in the car when my mum would go and like go to the shops for 5 minutes it was whitney like whitney was <laughs> my absolute hero <laughs> and that's maybe not that cool but like no, she's got hero yeah. songs man i mean yeah. her songs and like that voice Amazing. is just it's just a gift from god like that mm. is just you don't come across that very often and no. i find like her whole story inc- incredibly sad but just like i would have loved to have heard her actually performing live yeah. at one point but that was like yeah i guess the sort of conte- adult contemporary music when i was growing up was the kind of music that just made me really think wow mm. and then as i got into music more in my like 20s i'd say like licky d was a huge influence like someone mm. that i really idolize yeah. Right. And Lana Del Rey, I really relate to in terms of like, her vulnerability as an artist. I think yeah. that, again, in the sense that she kind of like skyrocketed to success, and I don't necessarily think she had the foundations then, but she's proved that she does now. And you can see how quick the industry is to kind of throw stones at you once, oh, yes. you know, they yeah. throw you up, and then they're like, okay, right. let's yeah. try and break them down. Um, <laughs> So I'd say those two are probably my main, or three, are my main, like, ideas. When you're writing songs, is there anyone that you, any artist, any particular artist that you kind of, that you might play, you know, to get inspiration from? Or is it purely just, you know, silence and songwriting? I suppose the question is, what's what's your process? My process? Yeah, it's kind of got a bunch of different ways of working, but some, usually it will just come from, a feeling will spark a, a lyric and or a melody or often both at the same time and then I'll just kind of go with that so I don't I can play the guitar enough to write something but usually it's just the words come first and I think that's because I've always written poetry so for me it's really about the storytelling like that's yeah. what I'm most interested in and it's strange because and maybe it's a Lana influence but often the songs like so many songs I have, I write about sort of like old America in a way. And it's weird because I've never I don't live there. <laughs> but like some and I, I know some people when I've played it, they're like, but you're, you know, this London girl. But I make references to sort of like, you know, the the neon lights, the hotels and like those yeah. kind of because I, I guess I'm really inspired by that imagery. Uh-huh. 
so that definitely inspires me. And it's like, it's, it's about a narrative of someone that's experienced what I've experienced, but it's in a more like romanticized way. Yes. Obviously we've written, we've made music together and stuff. Um, and I've actually, I think I've seen you live a couple of times because we've, we've got some mutual friends that you've performed around and stuff like that. Um, you've put some music out on Spotify before. Right. And um, to like talk a little bit about what inspired all of that and uh, a little bit about your previous music and what you've done mm-hmm. um, before now. Well, I'd say when I moved to L.A. was when I felt a sense of freedom musically, because I think I, like and I mentioned it earlier, this idea that everything has to be perfect before it's put out into the world. And I think, mm. again, that's something we can all relate to on, on various scales. But with music, I became almost paralyzed by this like idea that it had to be something that was always unattainable, I guess. Mm. Like it was always someone else's opinion would shift my focus to something else. And I still struggle with that a bit, but I think it's very reflective of like where I was in my sense of self mm-hmm. because I was such a chameleon as a person that that then reflected in my music that I would end up with an array of different songs that sounded like a different artist and then when people spoke and I think you guys even picked up on that but when people spoke that back to me I felt like people were saying you don't know who you are which was true (laughs) and I was like stop saying that (laughs) so I think a massive thing for me was actually figuring out who I am and again it's like it mirrored life mirrored imitates art and, and vice versa so when I moved to LA, which was in fact the beginning of my Saturn return, was when I suddenly was like, I don't want to be someone for other people all the time. I just want to be me. That's and so I want great. to write the songs that speak to me. And there will be a community of people that connect to that. It yeah. won't be for everyone, but trying to please everyone just gets you spinning in circles and going yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I think being in LA as well and kind of taking those, I think from the show and everything that that and it was more what I created for myself this idea of like having to achieve something having to be a certain way in LA I had a lot more freedom mm. and with the people I work with there I just got really lucky with the people that I reached out to it was literally right. a case of like I'd hear a song on SoundCloud I'd like the production and I'm I think producers you know the the, the secret stars of the music you know it's a lot of credibility is given to the artist but actually like oh that's a great thing to say and if it wasn't for if it wasn't for the producers that i got to work with i would never have found like more of an essence of who i am give them it's, who, who are they so i guess like one of my favorites and he's he's so he's a great friend of mine he's so talented he's called aj and he, he goes by the name of stint and I heard his songs on SoundCloud. I just came across it. And I, at the time, was doing a blog and I asked to interview him for the blog about, you know, like the the secret stars behind the music, the producers and, and right. their sort of journey through it. And when I then moved to LA, I reached out and I was like, I've just moved to LA. Like, I don't really know many people. I know that you live here. Like, shall we hang out? And we became friends. And then we did this song together, which was called Thinking About You which really for me was like, okay, this is me. And then everything kind of, um, from that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like a really amazing moment for me actually getting that opportunity because he's gone, I mean, he's done like Galant's album. He's done Jesse Ware. 
he's done right. he's done so many amazing peoples and he's done so well and he's such a humble lovely human being so that was fantastic and then the song the first song i released was called here we are again which was got by this um this producer group called we are exes who are also incredible and that yeah. sort of narrative that emerged then that was very conversational and playful um definitely again like hit something that felt quite uniquely me mm-hmm. but then again you know there's definitely like even when things start moving and I was lucky in the sense that when I came back to London after my stint in LA I was completely lost I actually had no idea what I was doing at that point and I put this project together but I was desperate for someone to just come and be like this is what you do we'll take care of you and this is it and that just just doesn't happen and sometimes you've just got to like trust your gut and take a risk so I kind of put out the project just completely on my own and literally I mean I barely knew what I was doing and just I had enough friends in the industry that were like okay use this company like blah 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 yeah and I got lucky that someone introduced me to someone from Spotify who heard the songs and then they put it on New Music Friday in the US and UK and it just suddenly started streaming and like that was one of the greatest moments of my life when actually wow. oh, cool. yeah because cool. it I just needed I needed that validation, if I'm honest, to but feel you know, like it, I was it is worthy of it. Yeah, but it definitely is the, the course of how artists should go there at the moment. Because I remember seeing like an interview with about three or four different A&R guys like in the past six months. And that's exactly what they're saying. They're say, saying that they're not even interested in looking at artists unless they kind of fulfill that first step and go, I'm worth this you know like mm. no, you, you don't know how you're doing it you know mm. and it, it's really good that you that you're taking the bull by the horns and going you know even if you don't know what you're doing and and kind of putting a mark on it because I think that's definitely the way to get some attention and and kind of find out who you are yeah but I think that comes with so many obstacles in the sense that as artists I mean I can't speak for all artists but I feel that mm. there's often this thing of like slightly seeking validation outside of yourself i think that's sometimes why artists yeah. gravitate towards the entertainment industry is because we need that validation, validation but yeah. at the beginning you don't you don't get it and so i think a lot of people struggle making that you know crossover because mm. they're waiting for someone to come and say you're good enough and you can yeah. and and often that doesn't come until you know you say it for yourself really mm. well i wanted to just jump interject a little bit and um speak to you about your the growth pattern before going into the, the podcast Sands Returns. Um since the show, since obviously made in Chelsea, what's been happening for you in terms of people's perceptions or what's is there any changes, anything you want to, you know, what's been happening? You know? Oh man. <laughs> what a gra- what a question. Um where do we begin? Well, it's interesting that you use that word perception because I became slightly obsessed I actually wrote a song called perception because I became so fascinated by this idea that the the, the press essentially can construct a version of you that can become more powerful and more influential than actually your own voice and that's something that's quite scary and I think again to go back to that like me not really having a fixed sense of self in my early 20s I don't think many of us do Um, And then being in a show that kind of like crafted a version of me and then the press angle of it took off and they had their own narrative that they wanted to spin. And I just remember like looking at it and it was like a version of me 
that didn't really feel like it was me. Wow. And yeah, it was totally, like totally, it was yeah. taking off and it was successful, but it didn't it didn't feel good because yeah. I was like, I if I keep portraying myself as that, I'm lying to to myself. And right. I'm also sending out a message that I don't feel happy with to young girls. And then sort of like leaving that and embarking on something else. The thing is, I got I got really lost in my 20s. I wouldn't necessarily reflect on them as like the happiest of decades, but it was a necessary period of growth. And I'm like now very thankful as I embark on my next decade to be like, I'm really happy that all that happened the way it did. However, I, I would have liked to have had a bit more guidance on like how to navigate those years really. And that mm. is really where the sort of my idea for the podcast came in because we sort of get sold this idea that when you're approaching 30, you know, you should have found your partner, you should find your career, you should be successful, you should be happy, you should be, you know, insert whatever thing the media or advertising has told us. And if you don't feel like you're on the right trajectory, it can become really isolating. And then you isolate yourself even more and it can kind of spiral. And I think that we all need to take the pressure off ourselves a little bit because it's a constant evolution of finding ourselves and it's never ending and I think there's no shame in that I've gone off the question slightly but I mean like yeah like I said my 20s were a turbulent time um when I was doing the show and afterwards I then ended up moving to Australia for a while which is again like I got very into music working there some amazingly talented people in Australia in the music industry but I was I was wild like (laughs) I was really wild in my early 20s and that became something that was quite damaging. I could start to see the correlation between like what I wanted to achieve and who I wanted to be and like how I would press the destruct button on that. And so the last couple of years have really been, again, going back to the sort of Saturnian energy of like discipline and, and structure. Those were concepts that were totally foreign to me in my 20s. I was just... I was sailing, you know, a hundred miles an hour with no clear direction, like ankerless, just going anywhere and doing everything. And it was fun, but it's not sustainable. Sounds like a good song. One thing I've noticed is like just being like you in the studio, you as an artist, um, the progression of who you are now. It's, mm. I don't want to, it's not night and day, but it's very, especially when at the time when we, you know, when we first met, it, I, remember, we, I remember going in a studio with you and then obviously I, I had no idea that you had this, obviously you had this massive, you know, um, media personality on a Made in Chelsea and stuff like that. And you were just the most like, just very chill, very like, <laughs> like, just, you know, calm. Pete, do you remember that? I, right? I totally remember that. And I remember oh, you, like, you allowing space in the room for us to do our thing, so, which is yeah, like, normally just, like a big star walks in and they they just like I know what I want. This is it, da da da. And you were really open to like ideas, which is always yeah. A good thing. And you were just, which was really really cool. And I think that there's a lot of credit there because sometimes um, artists sometimes it's the opposite of what you're saying, and they think that they've got it too right. I think one thing that 
I've massively learned over the last, mainly the last year is how crucial it is to have the right team around you. And that was something that I have been praying for for such a long time. And finally I do. And, and that having people that just like echo what you want to create. And it's, it's a real energetic thing, I believe when you have people that are like on the same frequency as you, and then that attracts more in and it just like flows. Yeah. But when you don't have that, it can be really, it can be really tricky because you're like, I know I really want this. So I'm going to like say it a hundred percent. Like I know what I'm talking about and that can sometimes go against you. So in even the lights of like how we, we met through Denzel, like Denzel was someone that came into my life in a really bizarre um, way, actually. Mm. He, um, I, when I was in LA, I was being managed by these guys and his name came up in a meeting and I remember I wrote a like a little list of everyone that I wanted to meet in my life and he was at the top of my list yeah. and when the when my first single came out this woman called Maureen who is an art agent started like promoting my song and was just like getting really behind it and I was like that's really kind like I don't know her we ended up kind of striking up a conversation she was like you know if I can help in any way she was like in fact I'm about to go and meet someone that I'm doing some business with his name is Denzel (laughs) and I was like oh really and then she connected us on email and we met and like since you know he's become a dear dear friend of mine and I really value his opinion but he's someone that definitely I'd say works primarily off of energy like and he creates this amazing community of people like when you walk into those parties that he does in initially it can be quite intimidating because you look around and everyone's so cool but then you talk to everybody and they've just got such a good vibe and it's just like the most you leave feeling so full and energized and happy i remember yes. actually that that same party he said to us he said to me and dante okay so there's the the listening room go play your stuff and it was for a party and we were like okay <laughs> went yeah. and played like a bunch of stuff and it was so cool because suddenly we started to discover who was there and it was yeah. some some incredible artists and some mm. in insane producers so mm-hmm. he is he's one of those guys that feeds off energy and gives you energy back which is a good thing because those yeah. kind of di- guys don't really give you energy they, they kind of hold everything to themselves and like you know just watch you but he, mm-hmm. he's a lovely guy We've, we have so much time for him yeah so sidetrack denzel denzel fergus is the is the uh, head of platoon um and he did what was his, his background is uh apple yeah yeah so was, iTunes um, festivals iTunes. He was yeah. like Steve Jobs' right hand music man for like pretty much his life, right? So yeah, um, yeah. so he's doing some great <laughs> things. He's a cool dude. He's over at Tal Yard, and that's how we met Kagi. So um I'm gonna hand it back over to Keisha. And I hope that answers your question. That. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm like, right. I, like, <laughs> I was just really like, okay. I just was getting so lost in it. Now, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I tend to go off on tangents. <laughs> <laughs> I like, you, know, you feel like you're listening to a podcast. So I was like, yeah, Same. So like, yeah, 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 I was yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the nope, room, nope. back of the room. Yeah. Um, well, look, because you did speak about the podcast, just you know, conversation segue. The podcast. Let's discuss because it's. In my opinion, I think it's a brilliant podcast. Saturn Returns. I was super impressed when I first ever listened. I think I listened to the trailer first and I was like, right, I just want to, you know, get a vibe of what this is about. And then I was like, right, okay, let me listen to, you know, a couple more episodes. And I was really surprised at how you managed to just 
sneakily kind of, I mean, it's probably not sneakily from your part, probably with intent, but it felt like you kind of, like if I wasn't, if I didn't like astrology, I would, I would just listen and think you had a guest on the show and it was a maybe quite an open, mindful podcast. I wouldn't think, I wouldn't have associated it with the Saturn Returns, so to speak. Does that make sense? As in but with astrology? Anyway, with astrology. Tell us more about Saturn Returns because it's, I find it so interesting. And you've just finished series one? Just finished series one last week, yeah. So it's been quite an achievement actually during this very odd time that we're living in to be able to have that to focus on and also provide a bit of solace for people that are going through through a rough patch um, and that in in a strange sort of serendipitous way seems to have been all quite timely because people do have more time on their hands they're listening to podcasts maybe they never did before and you know perhaps they've been furloughed or lost their jobs and they're kind of at this like slight crisis point really and the podcast in essence is to provide like a bit of calm and clarity during difficult and turbulent times and to make people feel less alone in those experiences and it's specifically your Saturn return the main one is you approach it as you approach your your 30th so it can be felt people feel it differently depending on your birth chart and like how you've been living essentially so for me (laughs) who had been living like I said like a wild child yeah just sailing (laughs) with no with no cares and clear direction it, it felt like it hit me pretty hard. And actually in my chart, it's in conjunction with Neptune that brings out all sorts of other things. But I, I definitely felt it. And the weird thing about when I was in LA, when I suddenly felt like the way I'd been living my life was not going to work anymore. It's like all the, all the conditioning and all the defense mechanisms that you acquire over your lifetime to like fit in or to feel safe they start, you, you need to start dismantling them, I think, as you approach that next stage of adulthood because they can become destructive in different ways. Very much so. And so for me, it was like, okay, I need to like unpin this infrastructure that I've created, but I just have no idea what's underneath. And that can feel a bit scary, but people just started arriving in my life that guided me um, onto this path. And whether that was like through practices like moon rituals or just like introducing me to speakers like Abraham Hicks. It was just like Mm. a very natural thing. And as I stopped, a big thing for me was that I stopped drinking. And for me that like my sort of spirituality is very, is very connected with that. And I think because I I was so wild in my early twenties, like that felt something that wasn't, it wasn't aligned with who I truly was, but it was a massive thing for me to have to stop because so much of my drinking was about fitting in and people pleasing yeah. and stuff. So my Saturn Return, yeah, it was a turbulent one. And I actually started writing a pilot for a TV show when I was in LA, which was called Saturn Returns. And yeah. in essence, the podcast is like a more self-help toolkit version okay. of of that story. And I wanted to make it like, like I said, very applicable to anyone going through a tricky time. You don't have to be into astrology. I am into astrology, but I'm no expert. And I think it's just sometimes Mm. nice to feel like we have something guiding us, you know, in the the moments when, in the same way that religion provides like 
something greater than ourselves in times of desperation astrology is like a a not so dissimilar thing it's like okay this is happening for a reason and i'm learning something from it and i think that that's a really positive thing so kagi tell us where we can find the podcast and where we can listen to it so you can find Saturn Returns with Kagi wherever you stream your podcast, whether that's Apple or Spotify. And yeah, we've just finished season one. So you've got a whole 10 episodes to get your teeth into. Each episode has a guest. Yeah, each episode has a guest that spoke that focuses on a specific theme. Um, so we cover all sorts of ground. And like I said, it's some of it's quite esoteric and like specific, but some of it's just more practical advice on how to how to navigate life. Not just yes. your twenties life. Wonderful. Cool. So look, it's um it's been a crazy year for everyone. Oh man. Yeah. Everyone. <laughs> I say that in the nicest possible way. But I mean, look, I mean I was gonna ask you, what's changed drastically? I suppose, from your normal routine pre-COVID <laughs> to now? And if so, has it changed for the better or the worse? Well, I'm quite a hermit of a person. So in that sense, I'd say it probably hasn't affected me as much as it has a lot of other people. Also because I I, I like being alone like, and I'm good being alone really so I mean as as well to go back to the sort of astrology aspect like I'm a Taurus so we're all about being homebodies we like craziness (laughs) we like we like things to just like feel good and I actually have had to make a really concerted effort to like do more social things and I get invited to a lot of stuff and I I'm always feeling bad for for not going so in a way in in the positive way I've kind of enjoyed just like being alone but that being said it obviously brings with it tremendous challenges and I think Mm. something that people need to acknowledge is that we are obviously with everything that's gone on more recently is is more specific but in general we were experiencing like a collective grief Mm. and because it's not necessarily on the conscious mind you might be thinking well I'm not you know I don't have it that bad so Mm. I can't complain but on a on a deeper level, like we've never ever experienced anything like this, and it really no, totally. it really affects you. And even people yeah. like my mum, who's never suffered from anxiety or anything, she was like, "I feel so like I feel I'm getting anxiety." But mm. even though the way she's communicating isn't, she's not afraid. She's like, you know, it's fine. Mm. Blah, blah blah. This is frustrating. But on a more subliminal level, like the the news, the media, social media, it's course, we're being inundated, and I think we it's really important that we actually regulate what we are digesting mentally yes. on that level, mm-hmm. and even more so with everything that's going on now. Like it's so important that we educate ourselves and know what's happening, but also like mm. self care is so crucial, and actually oh, stepping okay. back and being like, okay, is this actually? harming me or is that mm. is it helpful the moment that we were all told that lockdown was was here that's the point i think when everyone was like oh my god what am i doing like what mm. what, what can i do is there something that i should be doing and then you know feeling really guilty for not doing enough as well which i found mm. when speaking to my friends like the common thread have you found that if you're just still and not writing or not doing something that 
you feel guilty for doing that? Even before this, I definitely have when I am doing too much of like chilling or you know just nice things and pottering I love just pottering around I get I start to have dreams often and things that will indicate that like I'm slightly off in how I'm not being productive enough I'm not actually doing things that are gonna take me closer towards my goals but so I think that that's a balance that we all need to master and I haven't had the same infrastructure that a lot of other people have had taken away from them in the sense that Mm -hmm. I've never really had a nine-to-five so I've had to create that Mm -hmm. discipline myself and I think when people get that taken away they're like okay what should I be doing like I'm not doing Mm -hmm. enough and become a bit panicked and because like and that's completely normal as well because they're having Mm -hmm. to create that structure for themselves so I've definitely had like you know, at the beginning, I had high hopes of all the things I was going to do. I definitely haven't done most of them. <laughs> but also, I quite enjoy the stillness. And I think actually, in a sense, practicing being still and sitting in the discomfort of our own experience is a more profound and progressive thing, in a way. Well said. Very, very wow. good. Well, yeah. I know a lot about the, uh, just a little bit about the Zodiac. Just... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not. But apart from that, that's about it, really. As in, what star sign you are? Huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Is that is that basically what you're saying? Basically, (laughs) I'm like, I'm I'm an Aries, so I'm just like, that's that's pretty much it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think it's. I mean, I I would say that it's probably, and I mean, my audience would definitely suggest this too. It's like a more female. Thing. thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It right. yeah. But, but, but it's good to know it's definitely. fun it's you know i think it's also important to be quite playful with this kind of thing and i've definitely got friends that are a bit obsessive about it and they will mm. you know try and live their life according to like what the planets are saying yeah. it's it's yeah. i think it's very much like our external world and internal world are constantly interacting with each other and mirroring each other so it's we don't lose our responsibility because of what's happening, what's happening on a planetary yeah, yeah, yeah. scale basically <laughs> uh-huh. so kagi you've been very proactive on your platform in raising awareness or from what i can see anyway regarding the current movement um, for black lives matter petitions donating which is really refreshing um i suppose for someone like yourself who has a platform where they're able to share um you know information valid information did you feel pressure to have to do this did you feel more pressured to have to promote and and talk about it on your platform I'm so glad that we're talking about this because I think also just noticing like the discomfort is really important because that is such a big part of the problem, I think. So in terms of this, people saying it's not enough to not be racist, you have to be anti-racist. That's like a crucial element here. Mm -hmm. It's like, because we haven't had conversations about it, that it, it, it like participates in contributing to maintaining the status quo which needs to be disrupted so as like a white person that's fan base is predominantly caucasian women it was it was i thought it was really important that i speak and i definitely need to speak more than i have but again it's that balance of like because it's become so huge you need to make sure that actually you're embodying it more and i think almost that's more important than 
promoting it if that makes sense sure is if you're if you're speaking about it and you're like regurgitating the right language sure that can make a positive impact and you might affect people that follow you but actually i think the work is internal work that we all need to be doing individually and we need to be having conversations with our families and really educating ourselves and really getting uncomfortable so at yeah. the moment we've got uh, me and one of my best friends well she set it up this group and we're all reading this book called me and white supremacy and it's yeah. i don't know if you guys have heard yeah. about it or read it but yeah. it is like it's an uncomfortable read there's mm. not like she calls you out on everything and it's just been such an awakening for me to actually educate myself and we're this isn't just like a a trauma that's being experienced because of what's currently happening this is like an ancestral trauma i believe mm. Yeah. And I well think put. that that is why people need to be as upset and angry as they are because to heal anything you need to experience that grief. It's important sure. for me to be uncomfortable and for us to all be speaking about it and that is how we'll make a change and that is the contribution that I can make. Wow. Yeah. No, which is phenomenal. I wanted to just pin in a little bit on this whilst we're here because I've been on the biggest emotional roller coaster with this I'm whole sure. situation. I of I 100% believe in just the human race. It's just, you know, I I have so much faith in it. I think we're just we're an incredible species, you know, um and we have these things that are set up. We look at them as dividers. We go, oh this divides us, but technically we're meant to take things from each other to learn to enrich to make each other better mm-hmm. um and i think that what i've learned especially with this whole black lives matter movement and everything what's been going on it, like you said it's ancestral right and you can't tell someone how to feel when they're in different stages okay. of it right and, and you a, have no idea how they feel you have no idea yeah. how they feel and it's i've realized that it's a spectrum i might kind of understand why there are people out there who also believe that look this is the past it's not my problem you know but like you said it's it everybody's like, problem it's everybody's problem and until, until it changes now mm-hmm. you know in our generation then everyone needs everyone should be held accountable or you're supporting the problem mm-hmm. absolutely Do you know what was really positive <laughs> the i went to the protest yesterday and just again segue but um it was actually really beautiful. Yeah, like, I went the day before and it was beautiful. Oh, on the Saturday. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. It was I didn't I mean I didn't stay till, you know, the you know, the late late in the evening, but I was there till about 6. But it was just I don't know how to describe it. It was kind of like this like it was very very beautiful like I said, but it turned, it kind of flips the hurt that you feel. Yeah. Into, this yeah. beautiful, into this beautiful thing like everybody was together there was a yeah. sense of just everyone was one um, it was peaceful everybody was in their own kind of little pockets no one was on top of each other yeah. um, given the current climate as well Isn't you know? that crazy, it was just wow. really it, yeah it was very it felt very respectful mm-hmm. and you know it could have got out of hand but it, but it didn't at all um, I was just pleased to be a part of it yeah and so was I actually and it, it felt like the energy there was palpable. It was like, yeah. wow. And I mean, it feels to me like we're on the brink of real change and it just needs Definitely. to, we need to keep pushing. But like Dante, you Definitely. said, it's like, it's really hard to know what narrative to stick with because so many emotions are coming up, especially for you, you must be feeling so. And when you see something like that, like it's hard for that not to feel personal. Yeah, you know? yeah, 100%. And for you not to feel attacked. And then like, 
with that wave of emotion that comes up, you want to say something and then you're like, wait, is that actually igniting positive change? We're constantly having mm-hmm. to like check ourselves. Yeah. So I yeah. think it's like really coming back and being like, okay, what is true for me? And what is like going to make a positive impact here? But again, it's like, Every time you say something or see something or promote something, there's a counter argument there. Yeah, yeah. 100%, 100%. But you know what? I was very, when you say that you went to the protest and you've, you know, you've been, um, it's so funny because the majority of all my friends have gone to the protest. So, so surprisingly, in so many walks of life, backgrounds, social status, everyone has just tried or as much as possible to just be, like, support this cause, mm-hmm. which almost makes me go, I want to focus more on the hope that is in my generation, right? Like, yeah. and, and and the fact that my generation want this change. That's where my I am anyway. I, you know? I feel exactly the same, Dee. I, I mean, I grew up like, you know, in South Africa and I saw so many protests. And what, what was crazy in South Africa is that when you, when you could protest, you were allowed to be one person as a mm. black person. I watched that transition and I've seen like two, three generations of how they react to this stuff. And I'm so proud of this generation. Like there was, there was a sign I saw, which is pretty radical, but it, it was like, you know, you're not going to mess with this generation in much stronger words. I'm sure you guys have seen it. And I think we're at that point now, you know, like I, I think you know what's going to happen if you don't deal with this. And mm-hmm. we have to deal with it. We have to deal with systemic racism. We have to deal with conversational racism, you know, like in, in every... Calling everyone out. Exactly, yeah. you know, and um, I mean, I'd, I want to just say one word to you guys, which makes me very emotional. I had an aunt that died called Eileen Davis, and she was like a lone reed in a, a super racist family that I had. You know, not immediate family, but she was the one person that, that spoke to me and, and, and said, Pete, look around you. Like we had a maid in, living in the back room, you know, and she said to me, Pete, do you know where your maid goes home at night? And I said, yes, yeah. to, the, to the back room. I was like six, seven years old. And she said, no, where's her home? And oh. it hit me so hard, I can't mm-hmm. actually tell you. So it's those people that you need to surround yourself with. You know, I, I really believe it. People that can make change in your life and make you see what's actually going on. And that's what makes me proud of this generation because mm-hmm. for good or bad, social media has really opened us up. And yeah, so, yeah. You know, I'm proud of looking at you guys talking. I feel like I sound like the real old guy. <laughs> no, but it's powerful it's and it's amazing. so important. And like you say, the okay. social media aspect, I think for, you know, I've had like conflicted feelings about social media, but right now you can see how amazing it is because it's making yeah. everyone have to wake up. Mm. Absolutely platform wisely as well you know to spread the correct information there has been i've seen so many and i think i mentioned this before so many people targeting especially yeah. black people targeting other black um artists musicians whatever um someone with a, a status um who's able to you know spread the word but they might be taking time for their for themselves you know they yeah. may need they may they may be reading, learning, researching. 100%. So it's so important not to be judgmental because 100%. you know yeah. it can that I mean that and that's that can spread and that's no good. Yeah, and I think like Dante, you said like focusing on the solidarity and the unity of this generation and the positive versus like people do the flip side of that as people do get on the bandwagon of like you haven't said this and why haven't you done that? And like just name calling and like pigeonholing even more. And it's just not progressive and it's not helpful. That's where the problem starts, um, especially with our generation. We, you know, you just, 
being somebody who's obviously you've you've got your platform or you've you know and you've worked for that but then also you've taken the time to enlighten yourself and to try to educate yourself as much as possible um that's rare in today's world you know what i mean and all of these mm. issues are happening and people are just posting black squares because it's like okay cool yeah that's a black yeah. square <laughs> yeah. but yeah. that's it's it's the energy behind it that you have to check yourself on a personal level being like am i doing this to jump on the right. bandwagon or am i really oh, like i said yeah. embodying in embodying it and doing the uncomfortable work myself mm. because myself, they're two yeah. very very different things mm. <laughs> Okay, cool. So look, so Kagi, tell us, which charity are you going to be donating to? So I'm going to be donating to the UK Black Lives Matter Fund. We shall be including the links to that on the podcast (laughs) page. (laughs) So there's going to be a lot of people listening to this podcast who are definitely going to want to know how you started the podcast and if you have any tips that you can give us. So I think... The important thing with podcasts is obviously it's quite a, a saturated market right now, but it's it's a huge one and so many people are, are getting into it and it's growing, growing every day. So I think it's really finding your niche, what your passion is and what your your voice is essentially. And that will always communicate itself when it's really authentic and you're doing mm. it for the right reasons. So coming up with something and sitting with it for a while to really make sure that that resonates truly with you would probably be my first tip and then coming up with the guests the people that you'd like to have on what what your sort of structure is and I think structurally it's actually something that's quite overlooked on podcasts is you know making sure it's the right length for whatever you're talking about is really key because people's attention span works in different ways depending on what they're listening to actually so that's something to really consider is like how long you want it to be um, and then whether you, you know, you can do it very DIY, you can do it literally at home in the kitchen, or you can get a producer and that obviously will elevate it a little bit because when people edit stuff, it's people that know how to edit things is really, it's magic how they do it because you just don't, don't know what they've edited out. <laughs> Even when I listen to my own conversations and I'm like, I have no idea how they've made that hour and a half conversation, 45 minutes, but they've done yeah. it and I can't remember what they've taken out. Mm. So, um, yeah, getting the right team of people around you that really believe in it and, and know how to structure it is probably mm-hmm. the next thing. And yeah, I also, I would say that I think it's more, almost more valuable to, to develop an audience over time that's really devoted versus just trying to get out to the masses straight away. Um, Because I think if you have like a smaller core fan base that follow the journey and are really invested in it, in the long Mm. run with whatever you want to create off the back of it, they're more likely to, to stick with you. Mm. You have been an absolute (laughs) force. It's been amazing having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. It's a Thank pleasure. you very much, Kagan. <laughs> so good to have you, Kagan. I hope we can get into the studio soon, soon, soon. Me too. Thank you. Yes, let's Thanks, do it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kagi Dunlop, and this is my City Island podcast. So that's it, guys. End of episode five. Kagi's been amazing. Pete and Dante, thank you so much. I shall see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.